The time once again is 8.30. You are listening to WART Wart Radio, which means it is time for Demo or Bust 2010. Everyone and welcome to the third edition of Demorbus 2010. And uh, I must, I gotta say, I gotta say really quickly that the aim of this program has changed a little bit. Where it was uh, narrating a personal, um, a personal project of mine and just writing a demo. Um, then maybe I, maybe that's a little bit boring, right? So uh, instead, we're gonna be interviewing people generally and uh, talking about demo stuff and computer stuff and, and 3D stuff. Uh, but before we get into any of this, uh, let's listen to some chiptune music, because chiptune music is awesome. Thank you. 
that was Sorcerer's Battle by our friend Bert Kaufman. And uh, during the last uh, block party, he performed this live, and uh, we had such a fun time uh, dancing. Uh, like, there's no tomorrow to it. I lost my necklace during that episode. But it was a lot of fun. This particular uh, song is really heavy on the FM synthesis, and I just want to tangent for a bit, uh, FM synthesis being kind of a favorite, favorite technique of mine. Um, is I'll explain it very briefly. It is a uh, two waves. Uh, it's a wave uh, whose input frequency is modulated by another wave. Uh, typically, these are sine waves. Um, so if you have like a, a sine wave dude, modulated by a low frequency sine wave, uh, whoa, that kind of that that sound, you get kind of a sort of sound from that. Um, and uh, the theory is that uh, provided that you have an infinite uh, domain of frequencies uh, to choose for these two oscillators, you generate um, kind of a uh, once they get past sort of a, a Nyquist frequency, you generate these harmonics and the combination of these harmonics. Uh, you build a Foyer system uh, so you can recreate pretty much any wave. And that's the theory uh, behind it, but in actuality, there's you don't have an infinite number of frequencies to choose from, so they uh, made up for it by making it fucko complex. Uh, so typically, uh, FM synthesizers have different algorithms, what are called algorithms, of uh, different oscillators uh, that are put together in, in different ways. Um, let me play really quick, uh, very briefly, from... Uh, sent from a panel that uh, Vert did at uh, Block Party 2008, uh, in which he describes uh, FM synthesis. You should watch it. But this is a this is a quick audio clip of a ramp up of a one frequency modulated by a frequency that is ramping up uh, to get to give you an idea of what it sounds like. So we'll be right back in like two seconds. Now an interesting thing happens. I'm going to first vibrate it real fast so you can see it going all over the place. Now we're slowing it down to a very simple oscillation. Now I'm going to speed it up. And I'm going to continue speeding it up every so often so you can actually listen to what it makes that transformation. take away the vibration and it's just a simple sine wave. And then we put it back. Now it's a complete sound. That is FM in its most basic form. Now all those little spikes that you saw there, those are sidebands. Um, and it's, it's still not actually a concrete waveform, you know, a, a single sound. <laughs> Alright, I'll do it again. Actually, I have more visual aids coming up, so you'll get to see those. I'll run out of time if I go back and forth. Do it again. I like that person. Uh, that was <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, 
So we are going to be talking to IQ from RGBA, uh, more or less specifically about uh, raymarching. And uh, before we get into raymarching, I do want to discuss uh, ray tracing uh, because I feel that raymarching is kind of an offshoot of ray tracing. And just as a preface, so um, you have an idea of, of what we're talking about. Um, so. Retracing uh, is a technique for synthesizing um, 3D scenes on a computer, on a 2D screen, have a, a 3D image. And uh, the idea uh, behind this is that you can do this through light. If you have a light source, uh, for instance, in a world, and you have a sphere and the light emanates from this light source and bounces off the sphere, and is all over the place in this world and maybe bounces off a few other objects. If um, the uh, beams of light uh, go into a lens, um, this lens sort of uh, bounces the light around in my head. <laughs> like, I don't know the equation quite offhand, but it curves the, the light uh, into a focal point and somewhere in between this focal point and uh, the lens is a some film or a retina or something. And the idea is that the light that is uh, intersects with this film is uh, coherent uh, from the lens uh, such that uh, you can generate an image from it. If you think about it, just like go for a walk or something and think about it. And uh, it's cool because all 3D, <laughs> can just be generated from light, uh, if that makes sense. And so how you do this in a computer is very difficult because you can't really uh, go from a light source to a film uh, simulating this easily at all because the lens will only <laughs> intersect like less than 1% of the total light in the scene. So if you compute all the light, the light beams that come out of the light source, you have to forget 99% of them uh, a little bit more, more so. And so that's not very efficient at all. So uh, what you can do though is do this backwards because most of the equations for, just the equations for bouncing light and uh, optics and things like that just can be done either way. Uh, so forget the, forget the, uh, forget the lens. This lens thing is, is far too complex. Um, because you the, the coherence to well the uh, to decohere uh, an image such in a such in such a way to represent it how it was before it was uh, cohered together by this lens is is very very difficult. Um, so instead, uh, what we can do is we can uh, skip all this, uh, forget the lens and project uh, what are called rays uh, out from a camera position being sort of the focal point of the lens, uh, more or less, um, intersecting a plane, uh, this plane being, say, a screen uh, of 1024 by 1024 pixels, say, and see, so you create these rays um, called vectors uh, that 
start at your camera position, your sort of focal position, and intersect a point in the screen where this pixel is. And that kind of like becomes how the light would co cohere in a lens, uh, sort of. Like it, it lacks, uh, um, it lacks an artifact from actually having a lens called focus, which you can't really do focus easily in traditional ray tracers. Of course, they have evolved quite a bit um, over the years. But uh, so you have these vectors coming out, and then you can do all the optics uh, backwards. So you enter, you check all the objects that are in your world and see if they intersect with one of them. If the, you in, they intersect with a sphere, for instance, you have this vector uh, sphere intersection, which you can figure out exactly where it intersects uh, quadratically. And uh, then you figure out what the normal is of this object that you just intersected with. Um, with a sphere, it's usually uh, the normal is just a vector from the point where it intersected to the center of the sphere. And then you bounce it off this normal. If the sphere is reflective, you bounce it off. And it just bounces off like light would be bouncing off. And you continue doing this until you intersect with an object uh, that is not reflective. And then you take the dot product of a vector from the light source to your intersection and that becomes the amount of light uh, that is present there. That kind of simulates sort of the sort of the fade away aspect, if that makes sense. If you have uh, a light source that uh, whose rays are uh, approaching parallel to your object's normal. Um, and that's it. So that's the technique. This is a uh, this has been practiced for a while, and it's it's traditionally a very slow technique. Um, so it's been sped up considerably. But before, I don't want to get into all of this by myself. I want to talk to talk with the IQ with about this. So uh, let's take a musical break, as we always do, and we'll be right back with IQ of RGBA.
just listened to was uh, Ocean Machine, uh, an Amiga demo by the Black Lotus. Yeah. And um, I don't know, it's just a gorgeous soundtrack. Uh, did you like anything about this demo, out of curiosity? Oh, no, I don't know. I like the soundtrack. You like the soundtrack? Yeah, yeah. Well, I like it in general, the demo, of course. It's very, it's a very technically good demo. Yeah. But uh, I, I have never been a Amiga coder myself, so I don't really know how good it is. Yeah. I uh, just know it is good, and I like the effects, but I, I cannot really appreciate. But still, I like the demo and the mood and the the sound. I don't know. Well, they have well, they they have some pretty good models as far as the Black Lotus is concerned. I've seen for a lot of their Amiga demos, which uh, I don't know. It seems to me to be kind of um, removed from the platform more or less. So that's good. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Like I don't know, I'm not not too much of an Amiga person either, but it's me neither. I just follow the <laughs> the, the PC demo scene, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me me more or less, more or less too. Um, but uh, let's see here. So you are a member of RGBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when did you when did you join RGBA? Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't uh, understand the last question. Oh, when did you join RGBA? Ah, when. Um, I think it was in the 98. Well, it wasn't, we, we weren't called RGBA yet. We were called uh, Genesis or Genesis. But uh, later on we became RGBA, but we are still the same people. Okay. So we first met in the 98, I think, at university. Now, are you, you all met together and formed this, this group? Uh, were there, are you um, a founder? Uh, mm, yeah, well, I was there since the beginning, almost. Yeah, this is so, the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, actually, today, uh, there is not, there aren't many RGBA members who are active. It's basically me, and then R3D, which is a modeler and graphician. Uh, that's pretty much it, because the other coders, they are doing other stuff, like uh, Spectrum video games and things like that or they went into the Linux scene, uh, but really making demos is just me and uh, R3D. But well, we never lose the hope, and <laughs> we are trying to convince the others to join and uh, and come back, but well, we will see. <laughs> are they impressed by uh, by some of the demos that you've been releasing? Yeah, yeah, of course they are, but still I'm not doing good enough, apparently, to convince them to come back. <laughs> I should try <laughs> harder. But, uh, yeah, so that's why in the last times I have been looking for people to collaborate with. I like, see. Uh, working with people from other groups and so on. And I think that's nice also, because uh, so far all the members of all the members of RGBA we were Spanish. Yeah. And um, I think it's nice to, to make productions with people from other countries. How many, just uh, out of curiosity for myself, how many, um, how popular is the, this, how how many uh, Spanish groups are there? I know there's Explosive. And that's uh, about it. We have, uh, maybe you know also Extravaganza. Extravaganza. Mm. This was a popular group in 2003, 2004. Uh, then in the old days, in the 90s, we had Iguana, which uh, they made third position, I think, at Assembly a few times. And today we also have, so we have Explosive indeed. Then we have Spons, which are doing Amiga, uh, sorry, uh, Macintosh demos mostly. Yeah. And um, then you have Collapse, which are doing 4Ks, and then you have Fusion, 
which are doing 4K intros also, and they won, no, they, I think they did second position on, on Breakpoint, or even won, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, is, there are a few groups, but I um, think most of the times they don't show up in uh, international parties, they stay in, in Spanish events and competitions. So, How many, yeah. out of curiosity, uh, what, what Spanish parties are there that you've gone to personally? Uh, we have uh, a huge one. Uh, like it's called Euskal Party, yeah. and that's in the north of Spain. And normally it gathers five thousand people, so it's kind of assembly thing that in Spain. And but most of them are not singers. So the party was uh, the most party in the beginning in the nineties, uh, because now I think they are in the seventeenth edition already or eighteenth. I don't know. But in the beginning it was pure Amiga demoscene party. Then it was PC, and in the last years it's mostly for gamers and people. I don't know, doing all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we only go 10, 20 demo singers today. But really? it's a huge party. And then we have, in Barcelona, we also have another party, BCN party, which is only for demo singers, and we gather 50 to 100 people. It's not a lot, but... Yeah. And then we had, in, in the best times, in the early... So in the 2000, 2001, we had like four or five parties during okay. the year. And that was nice. But wow. today we only have Euskal Party, which is this huge event, non, not really the most related anymore. But, uh, that's why we are, we are starting now to, to go outside a bit. So, um, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what was the first party you've been to, just in, in general? Like, when did you first become aware? You were mentioning, it sounds like you go back to the, the early 90s. Um, yeah. when, do you, when did you first become aware of the demo scene? Uh, in 98, actually, the very first, the same year I, I joined it. So when I knew about demo scene, I said, okay, I joined this thing. I, I like it. Because I was already doing demos myself without knowing anything about demo scene. Well, demos, they weren't demos, as we normally say about demos. They, they didn't have music and so on, but I was doing effects and, and many algorithms. Yeah. And when I saw there were others doing the same thing, I said, okay, I, I'm going to join them now. <laughs> So as soon as I knew them in the 98, 97, I think I just uh, joined. Yeah, so it's kind of similar yeah. for for me a little bit. Just uh, just uh, when I was growing up, um, I did a lot of sort of graphical things. If that makes sense, and like little little tests and demonstrations. But I wasn't aware of demos or what they were. Yeah. And uh, so you know, had I known back then, uh, that's yes. immediately <laughs> what I would have done. And uh, yeah. so I'm I'm just. Yeah. Just starting to get into it myself, I became aware of, of yeah. demos very recently, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, but uh, I think in the end, uh, if someone likes a demo scene, they will find it in the end. I mean, it's like, I, I think a few days ago, Gargai was saying on Poet, in one of the threads, yeah. that the uh, demo scene is destiny. So, <laughs> in the end, you are going to find it somehow. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, normally people, there is all sorts of people that like programming, others like doing effects, graphics, but in the end, they will end up on the demo scene if they have to. Yeah. Otherwise they will stay in other scenes or whatever, like game scenes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's dusty. Do you, mind if, uh, do you mind if we take a quick break and play uh, Kinder Painter? Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, perfect. All right. Th- okay. But everyone, this is, uh, this is demo, right? So you got to watch it. It's not just audio. <laughs>
Okay, that was Kinder Painter. The PIAT ID on that is 26751. The URL is http colon slash slash www.piaut.net slash prod dot php question mark which equals 26751. Uh, now, uh, IQ, this is a, this is a GPU ray tracer, as I understand. Yes. And it se seems like you're, you have at least a couple of, of, uh, you, you at least have, uh, reflection rays going on here. There's a mm -hmm. couple of cylinders, a couple of spheres, a couple of planes. Yeah. Actually, this is a very typical ray tracing thing. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's called white ray tracing. So, this is ray tracing as it was designed in the 80s. So the very first ray tracers were doing exactly this. So spheres, cylinders, planes with reflection and shadow rays. And pretty much. So no global illumination or ambient occlusion or soft shadows, no motion blur. None of these uh, effects that are needed today to have a nice image. So uh, yeah, this is a very, very simple ray tracing as, uh, yeah, as it was done in the 80s. So it shows the typical uh, primitives like spheres, cylinders and planes. No, you are... But it's quite limited because uh, in the 80s it was like, whoa, but today no one is impressed anymore by spheres and cylinders. So that's why Kinder Painter was my first uh, experiment on the GPU. And then I said, okay, we have to move along and do something else than spheres. Yeah. And then the other productions came. Yeah. Um, well, you, you are doing a bit of motion blur. May I ask how you're doing that? Are you doing that with a, a motion buffer of some sort and then blurring um, by that? Or? In fact, the the real-time demo doesn't have any motion blur. Oh, really? Only the video that I recorded with motion blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing is that there is some of the movements on the sphere that are too fast, and when I recorded the video at 30 frames per second, yeah. uh, that was not enough. It was it, The frame rate was not fast enough to capture the movement of the sphere. Mm. The sampling rate was not enough because the spheres were moving faster than at 30 uh, movements per second, let's say. So I had to render it with motion blur so that you could understand that the spheres were moving. You hear that, fellas? The truth is out. I'm, I'm watching the video capture mm. here. Well, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a very good card as far as mm. uh, um, processing, uh, processing programs on the GPU. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, that's the problem of intros today. Most of the 4K intros, they are really abusing the GPU. Yeah. Watch them. That's a pity. Um, what can we do? <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when did you when did you start programming uh, on the GPU? I mean, when did this uh, this is 2006? Kinder Painter yeah. is when when do you think that uh, this approach has reached? Um, um, when do you think this was possible to program just pretty much rasterizers of any sort you want on on the GPU? When did this first start to appear in the scene? Sorry, like, um, just you just mean when? Yeah, uh, not, not. It started to be possible. We, yeah, when did, when did, um, we start to see people actually start to write ray tracers and uh, ray mergers and other such things? It was 2006 or something, so, um, the main feature we were missing before to do ray tracing on the GPU was, uh, the ability to do conditional jump. Yeah. So normally the GPU, you have, to program the GPU to do your effects, you have to put some code in it, in the GPU, that's normally written in GLSL or HLSL languages, which are similar, similar to C, but these languages were very limited before 2006, so you, could, you couldn't do an if statement, 
and you need that to do a ray tracer because your pixel, your ray either ray, uh, intersects a sphere or a plane or another object and then you have to choose how you are going to shade or compute a normal based on which object you hit. And to do that you need an if. So if I hit a sphere, I do that. If I, if I hit a plane, I do the other thing. So bef before we had the if uh, instruction on the graphics card, we couldn't do it. And I think it was in the 2006 or 2005 with uh, Shader Model 3 uh, graphics cards that we had this ability. So I think it was at that time when we started to see the first ray tracers. And not only ray tracers, but it was really, it was really an explosion of effects. Not, not only on the ray tracing field, but everywhere, like uh, post-processing effects, motion blur effects, texturing, procedural animation, all sorts of things on the GPU when we finally had the Pixel Shader 3. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now a technique that's becoming uh, more and more so in vogue uh, seems to be ray marching, which is, uh, is an adaption of yes. ray tracing as I see it. Um, could you talk very quickly about about the yeah. just the the technique of, of yeah. remarching? Well, the, the um, so before the techniques, I would like perhaps to say why we are doing remarching today, and that's because as uh, Kinder Painter is showing, with ray tracing you can only intersect spheres and planes and cylinders because these are shapes which have very simple mathematical representation, and that means that you can. Uh, mathematically solve the problem of intersecting your ray with these primitives. So the intersection, the way to solve the intersection is through a formula which is known and you just type the formula in the code and you have the intersection point. But if you want to go beyond spheres and planes and you are lacking the mathematical formulas for your shapes because what's the, sh what's the formula for a mushroom or what's the formula for a forest? So then you have to use something else than ray tracing and that's where ray matching comes into the into the game a bit, and the techniques are like uh, basically a ray marcher is just like a ray tracer. The way the lighting is done, the light, the way the animation is done, the way the rendering is done is exactly the same. Uh, it's only the intersection computations that are replaced. So instead of computing the intersections with formulas, you do it in another way, and that way is what we really call the ray marcher. And what we are doing here basically is to take the ray, um, which normally is used to detect an intersection, and instead of computing the intersection with a formula, we just take the ray and slowly test in brute force, if you want, like trying to find in a way somehow where the ray hits um, your, your primitive. And that's done, uh, again, not by solving a formula, but by just testing. So basically you take a point in your ray, and you say, okay, am I inside the primitive or not? And if you are not, you take another point. And then you try again. Okay, I'm now inside the primitive. Did I hit something? Yes or no. If you didn't, you try again another point, and so on until you find the point. And there is many, many ways to choose these points, to choose how you test different points along the ray. So the easiest is just to take one after the other, like advancing in the direction of the ray. Uh, that's the simplest one, but there is there are many other ways to do it, like you have bisection methods, you have newton raphson methods, you have many, many ways to try to choose your points in an optimal way, so your chances to hit the object are higher. But for four kilobytes demos, we are just uh, doing the simple way, which means you start in the origin of the ray, and you slowly step along the ray until you hit something. And yeah, that's pretty much so. It's a very... Um, 
powerful technique because the primitive, the description, the description of the primitive doesn't have to be mathematically simple anymore. It doesn't have to be a sphere or a plane. It can be anything you want. You can invent any sort of formula you want, and then uh, something will appear on the screen, let's say. So um, it's like you can really model model anything you want. You just need to know a bit of formula and mathematics, but not really a lot, and then you can kind of sculpt the shapes you want through these formulas. But you don't really need to solve the formulas. Just write them. You just have to write them to describe their object, and then the ray marcher will find the intersection. You don't have to do it yourself anymore. So it's a very powerful technique. And um, yeah, now everyone is, uh, actually everyone jumped into this technique, uh, because it's very simple to program, and it gives very good results. Yeah, so that's a bit the remarching. Okay, cool. Yeah, and it's it's the the thing that I that I find kind of intriguing by it is you can combine you can combine formulas where you have uh, something that uh, twists space. You can um, combine combine that in before your your tests of like a a cube. Yeah, it's really yeah, yeah, it's really really powerful. Like uh, as you are saying, you can have a formula which models an object A. You can have another formula which models object B. And then you can put into the game a third formula which blends the two previous formulas and then the object A and the object B will blend also, the shapes will blend. And you can also, as you said, twist uh, an object by adding some trigonometric formulas to the base formula. You can stretch, you can bend, you can do a lot of things. So it's a very, very powerful modeling tool, actually. The no. problem with, with this is that uh, an artist cannot use it because obviously modelers and graphicians, they don't know about mathematics. So it's still a coder who has to do the modeling. Uh, well, that's why we are still seeing uh, 4K intros with cubes and, and rings and, <laughs> and planes instead of something more beautiful. But yeah, so I think then the next step now would be to find a way to give all this technique and put it in the hands of an artist. But mm. I don't know how that will happen. If anyone will come with a brilliant idea and do something like that would be ideal, that we could put this technique in the hands of the artist. Well, I, I imagine um, if, you wrote, uh, if you wrote an editor, a modeler for this technique, it would most certainly, I would think, have to um, preview, at least, with ray marching yeah. to do a polygonal sort of modeling yeah. sort of scheme. I don't think it would work at all. And uh, so in that sense, the, the rendering technique is very tied to the... To the um, to the model that it that it draws, yeah. which I find kind of intriguing, yeah. to be honest with you. I'm looking at a picture. Uh, you have this uh, 4K procedural uh, mm. graphics uh, called uh, Slicex, yeah. which is fucking gorgeous. If I if I should say so okay. myself. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, okay, so once you determine uh, where in space a ray has intersected with an object, how do you determine the object's normal? Um, that's done with a technique which is called uh, central differences. So the thing is that when you have your primitive and your objects defined with mathematical formulas, basically all the space, all the volume of your 3D scene becomes what we call a scalar field. It's like, uh, like in reality, like at any point in space, you can always measure the pressure of air or the temperature. And that means for every point, in space you have this temperature. And then uh, the normal 
of your surfaces, they, they are tied or they, they are related to the gradient of this field, which is a mathematical concept related also to the derivatives and other properties of, the, of this 3D scalar field. But basically what we are doing is to take the intersection point and look a bit to the to other points around this intersection point and check if in these other points the, the distance to the primitive is smaller or higher than in the current point. And depending where which of these points has a closer distance than your point, uh, you can know to which direction the surface is oriented. It's like in you, if you are in, a, in, in, the, in the step of a mountain or in a hill, and then you want to know how the hill is oriented, you can just look to your left to your left and say, okay, in my left the hill is lower than me, and in my right the, the hill is going up. So that means my surface is oriented from right to left. And if you go the opposite, like in the left I have more high than here, and in my right I have less, then the surface is oriented in the other direction. So we are doing kind of this thing, but in 3D. And the, the, the technique is called central differences. So if anyone wants to check on the internet or Google or something, that's the, the term. It's very simple. You basically have to evaluate your scalar field or your distance field again four times or six times. There is two techniques to do it. One is more accurate than the other. The other one is faster. But So if you do it in the fast way, you just have to take four points. If you do it in the slower way, you have to take six points. And you evaluate the distance field six times and you the small formula and you get your normal. It's quite simple. Um, my other question is the shadows on mm. Slicex are very diffuse. Uh, I'm wondering yeah. how you're doing, how you're uh, determining what's in shadow. Um, this was a big hack. It's a, a, a big trick or cheat, but it, it did work quite okay. And because normally, indeed, in a ray tracer, in a classic ray tracer, you have uh, how do you call it? Hard shadows, I think. Like uh, the places which are in shadow and the parts which are not in shadow are very well split into groups, like this is in shadow, this is not, and you can't see the edge of the shadows normally in a classic ray tracer. And professional ray tracers, they have soft shadows indeed, like diffuse shadows, and that's what I try to do too, but in a very different way, because professional ray tracers, what they do is to cast thousands of shadow rays. It's like they have thousands of lights, and that gives thousands of hard shadows, but the average gives a soft, uh, a soft shadow. But I didn't want to do that. I couldn't afford to cast thousands of rays. So I did it only with uh, one ray, which goes from the intersection point or the pixel you are lighting to the light source. And in this ray, I was taking five points along the ray that were uh, equidistant, like all at the same distance from each other. And in these five points, I was computing again the distance, the distance to the closest primitive. I was just evaluating again, again the distance field. Mm, so that's and if the five points, yeah, if the five points are very close to something, then your point is most likely to be in shadow, in complete shadow. But if only uh, two of them are very close to an object and the other three are far, then your shadow is probably going to be softer, like it will have a bit more light. And by using these five points and the five distances to any geometry, I was kind of mixing all these values together to, to give a soft shadow. It really doesn't look bad for, for five points. No, it, it works quite okay. Well, it's, it's very tuned for this. I mean, all the parameters of, the, of this technique were tuned for this image. Yeah. It's not a generic thing that works for everything. But, well, it was good enough and it did work. And 
Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I don't know, I'm quite proud of it, actually. Because <laughs> it works very well. Um, do you, um, now as, as I've heard from you before, and, and unfortunately there, you have this, uh, you did a panel for Envision, and uh, the recording I had of it was cut halfway off. And so you're you're beginning, if if you don't mind me asking, you're beginning beginning to um, you're going to describe. It seems that there is uh, a definite computational difference between um, primary arrays and secondary arrays. It's it's much less expensive for a secondary arrays as opposed to uh, how expensive it is for tradi traditional ray tracers. Is yeah. do I understand that correctly? Mm, yeah, but um, yeah, no. So the thing was that. In in a traditional ray tracer to do these effects beyond the pure reflective and hard shadows, like so, normally in, in in a ray tracer to do the soft shadows or ambient occlusion or global illumination effects, which really bring a lot of richness to the image. These effects are very expensive because you, ca you have to cast thousands of rays. But with the distance field, you can apply tricks as the one I just described of the soft shadows and. You can get the same effects in a very cheap way. So while a normal ray tracer spends most of the time in the secondary rays or in the special effects with the ray marching in distance fields, it's actually these special effects take very, very little time, le a lot less than the basic rendering, which is completely the opposite of uh, normal renderers. And that makes the technique very interesting. For example, in this image, uh, uh, with the soft shadows and all that, you also have ambient occlusion, which is a technique that brings extra shadows to the parts of the model which uh, are very close to some geometry, like when you have a wall and, uh, and the floor, and then this part uh, of the scene where the floor and the wall are connecting to each other, that part normally should be a bit darker, a bit more dark than the center of the wall, where it's really exposed to the light while the bottom part is more in shadow. So these kind of effects, uh, and ambient occlusion effects, uh, normally are very, very expensive, but with the distance fields, you can do them almost for free. Like, it takes less, less than, I don't know, 5% of the rendering time. Well, okay, um, how are you doing the, the like the pillars that, that reach the floor? How are you doing the, the shadows that go around that? So the, in, the, the ambient occlusion is done again, um, again by using tricks of the distance fields. Like so you have a point, and basically what you want to do is to know if this point that you are lighting or shading, you want to know if this point is very, um, how to say, exposed to the light sources, or if it's really hidden, if it's really like hidden behind some geometry, and, and, uh, and if the light is not really uh, able to access that point. So I don't understand. Light. So the geometry of the pillar, when geometry yeah. of the ground or is or what? The ground or the monster or the whatever. So basically, you take a few points again around your shading point and you see if these points uh, are inside the geometry or not, if they are really floating in the air. And that you can do by taking the distance field and evaluating it in these points. So again, let's say you take five points around your point, your shading point, and you say, okay, are these points inside some geometry, like a column, or they are below the floor? And if three of them they are and two of them are not, it means that this point is not very, it's, well, it's half hidden oh. by geometry. So are you, okay. all of them were just floating in the air and not, not inside of anything, then this point is actually very exposed to the light, and then it's very light. 
Okay. Yeah. So the the point isn't uh, you're not um, you're not computing uh, five rays from one single point. It, you're computing it from yeah. like a, a volume. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes a little, makes yeah. a little bit more sense. Yeah. And normally in, in a ray tracer, this would be done with casting thousands of rays. And here you just have to, you don't even have to cast any ray, just evaluate the function a few times here and there in few points, and voila, you have the, the shading. And that's really cool. Yeah, are there any heuristic methods? Is there anything that can be gained from primary arrays and secondary arrays uh, would find useful, do you think? I mean, within the GPU sort of um, frame architecture, it seems like that wouldn't be possible, but are there any tricks that you've used? As far as speeding things up based on uh, either pre-computed data or... No, 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 no pre-computation at all. Everything done on the fly, from okay. scratch. So, yeah, yeah, there is no pre-computation for anything. It's actually it's very plain code, just there, no special optimizations or anything. Just, uh, but, you know, GPUs are so fast today that, um, uh, especially when you are coding 4K production, you don't really care about the speed anymore, it's just about how much you can fit in the 4K. And to make more room into your executable, you just drop all the acceleration techniques or all the tricks. So normally we just code the plain basic algorithm without any speed up or any trick and just let the hardware handle it. And uh, yeah, so in this case, also there isn't any other trick other than the fast and the occlusion and the soft shadows, which are more, not really a trick, but a technique, you could say. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Now, are, are you, are you um, testing uh, whether an object is within or without a particular geometry? Are you testing every geometry uh, per race step? Yes, yes. Right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, normally one should use an oak tree or something to discard objects that are too far, for example. But uh, in the case of all the 4K productions they have done so far, everything was tested for every ray. But really, it's really brute force, mm -hmm. a really, really a brute force approach. But it, it works quite okay. Uh, in, in, however, now every people doing 4K productions with ray matching, we are discussing new ways to accelerate all this, to make it even faster. And right now, there is in Poet, a very nice thread, the one you started, by the way, where uh, most, of the, yeah, most of the coders who have been using this technique are discussing how we could make it faster. So there is, I proposed uh, to use 3D textures to, yeah, to pre-compute some of the distance fields and store it in a lookup table or in a 3D texture. Others were speaking about uh, casting many rays in one go, like a complete group of rays, and try to make them move together so that you can save computations. Like you can do the computations only once for all these rays, and in case the computations are valid for them, just keep on doing like that until you have to break the group of rays into individual rays. So there is many ways we can probably speed it up. But the problem is all these techniques will, will take more space, more but they will take half kilobyte, a quarter kilobyte, or one kilobyte of uh, the code. So I don't know. I don't know what will happen. But if it was not, if we weren't doing this in, in four kilobytes and we were doing it in demos or 64k, then yeah, I think there would be a lot of tricks we could apply for accelerating all this. 
But in 4K, I'm not sure yet if we will see any of these techniques really being applied. I don't know. Well, if the the, um, the simple geometries here with, uh, without uh, without fancy uh, optimization techniques still look pretty cool. Like they're still um, yeah. I don't I think they they still have a little bit of time uh, yeah. to live if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we still will see spheres and cubes and these things for one year or so before. Yeah, but I mean they look nice. Huh? It's like uh, <laughs> most of these uh, 4K intros we have seen in the last year or two years. They are very, very nice. I, you can enjoy them a lot, even if they are still fierce. But they are shiny, they have shading effects, they have the right color, the, light, the, the right music, and they look very, very nice. But, um, yeah, I, I hope, well, we will see one day, and I think one day in two years or so, we will start to see more complex um, geometry and so on. For example, these graphics we were discussing with the pillars and the columns and the monster and all that, um, apparently, they were reporting that it runs at 10 frames per second already today. Oh wow! GPUs. So this was released one year ago, I think, or two years ago. And at that at that time, I think it was like half frame per second or 0.5 frames per second. Uh, and today it's already 10 frames per second. So I wouldn't be surprised if in yeah, two years more, three years, we could see these things real-time, completely real-time, in 4 kilobytes, That's with the monster moving around and destroying the columns and the roof falling down and these kind of things. So, yeah, probably yes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to dream, huh? <laughs> well, it's, it's still the fact that we can, we can do ray tracing alone real-time is, yeah. uh, is still kind of amazing to me, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, um, normally in the demo scene, when we think about ray tracing, we think uh, we think about planes and cylinders. But uh, there is another scene out there which are they are doing ray tracing on polygons, not in spheres and planes, but really in normal meshes in 3D objects like done in Max or Maya or whatever. They're getting and a good performance from this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also in that scene a few years ago. Mm -hmm and even worked professional, professionally on that and you can render a few million polygons in real time with a dual core machine today so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it's quite amazing actually in the demo scene we are pretty we are quite slow <laughs> uh, we didn't catch, catch up with them because they are really doing nice ray tracing it's all based on KD trees and op trees and uh, bonding volume hierarchies and other techniques to accelerate the intersections, and they are using very specific, uh, special ways of storing data on the memory, which is very efficient for cache uh, coherence and so on. And basically, you can do real-time ray tracing of a few million polygons. Like uh, I have, it's, it's pretty impressive actually. You need a lot of memory to store all the KD3 and OC trees in memory, but uh, it's absolutely doable today. So, yeah, 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 it's very, they're getting very good impressive. reflections and, and uh, other other. Are no, normally they are doing just uh, primary rays and shadow rays. I see. Uh, then I invented some techniques to do ambient occlusion in real time by casting just four uh, rays per pixel of ambient occlusion and then blurring the ambient occlusion information in screen space. But uh, yeah, but normally it's with simple effects, no reflections and so on. But uh, anyway, I think the reflections are. 
they are not that important in the end, I think, in reality. In, in the demos we are abusing of them, we like to have spheres, reflecting spheres, which reflect more spheres, and so on. But when you look around you, in reality, I don't know how many objects you see which are reflective, no? You know, I have here my window, which is now reflecting a bit. But, uh, that's it. I don't see many reflective objects. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, in, in demos we have this fetish of reflecting spheres and cubes. I don't know why. <laughs> Well, it's 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 very impressive to see a sphere reflecting a sphere. Yeah, it's cool, and yeah. for some reason it's like hypnotizing. I don't know why it's very cool, but <laughs> <laughs> but if you look around you, you don't see that many reflective spheres. <laughs> I walk I, I walk here in my apartment. I go to the streets to walk, and I don't see reflective uh, reflective spheres anywhere. But they look very cool. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. some reason. Yeah, I'm, lo I'm looking around right now, and aside from the CDs that are here, of course. There yeah. really isn't anything. The only thing that uh, there isn't anything that's reflecting anything aside from from light, but that's not really reflecting, right? So, yeah. but uh, hmm. well, everything reflects a bit of light, of course, because that's that's the principle of uh, the principle of global illumination. Like the light hits an object, and that light is kind of bounced or reflected in another direction, and so on and so on. But uh, perfect reflections, like uh, mirror reflections. We don't see that many, I think, during the day. But, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, since I have you on the phone, I'm sorry, you probably get this, uh, yeah, I have to talk about Elevated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <So>, no problem. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go to Elevated. We'll be back in one second.
right, we're back. That was elevated. Uh, the Piaut ID on this is 52938. Now this is a 4K, uh, a 4K demo. And uh, what party? What party was this released at? Uh, Breakpoint. Breakpoint 2009. Yes. It seems pretty popular as far as as far as demos. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what we did, but uh, it became very popular and very quickly. In fact, it's like. Um, I remember, so it was a collaboration collaboration between RGBA and TBC, yeah. and the guys of TBC, they made Atrium before, who won Breakpoint 2008. Who, out of curiosity, who did the, who did the synth? Because the, the synth is gorgeous in my opinion. Yes, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> when they sent me the first uh, version of the music, I was like, I was like wow, <laughs> we are <laughs> going to win. I don't know what images we will have, but we are going to win anyway. <laughs> it was really good. So th these guys, they made this very other successful 4K intro, and apparently they were very happy because in YouTube they got like 40,000 views or something in one week, mm. and the guys, the guys, guys were going crazy because we got 40,000 in two days, not in a few weeks, but in two days. So I don't know what happened with Elevated, but people really liked it a lot, and uh, I think in YouTube we are now in the 400,000 views or something, which is a lot. Especially uh, taking into account that we don't have boobs or dancing girls or porn at all. It's just mountains and a 4K intro, and lots of people is watching it. So we are really, really happy. Well, it looks like a. It's it's very photo. It looks very photo esque. You have a sort of. It looks like you have. Um, yeah. Everything's not lit the same. It's kind of darker on the edges, maybe. Um, yeah. You have sort of a, a, a lens, sort of. Um, yeah. Specular, yeah. No, sort of. Yeah, actually, th this was a bit my. Um, the, the thing I wanted to, to try this time with this production to do something that didn't look too much computer made it looks computer made of course but I tried to apply all these effects you have in real cameras like indeed darkening the borders of the screen you have the grain or the noise in the image you have the color uh, distortion you have uh, light flickering like the screen is all the time flickering the intensity the overall intensity of the image Oh, is um, it? I gotta yeah. watch it again. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to watch the real time version because in the video, these effects are just uh, most of them are just gone with the uh, MPEG or DVX compression. I'll have but to. I'll have to go to my. Yeah. Have to go to my friends. It's funny. <laughs> like, yes. I have. I just have a horrible uh, computer as far as demos are uh, concerned. Time to change. So, yes. uh, yeah, that's yes. that will have to change. Well, I know it eh, because my computer is quite crappy too, and in fact, I did program elevated at a very, very, very low resolution. Yeah. Like 100 by 80 pixels, so just 100 pixels, and then I could see it real time, because uh, normally it was running at 2 FPS, 3 FPS frames per second. So <laughs> most of, actually most of the productions I do, I do them, in, I make them in very very small window, and then I see them in big screen only in the party, but not before. Oh really? <laughs> Are you pretty confident that they still they still work correctly, or, or uh, do you think anything will be broken in? Uh have you had that experience out of curiosity where you produce something? The, the demo, you mean that they will be they will become incompatible or something? I don't know. Like, uh, will um, will the frame rate just uh, be as slow because of something uh. you had not seen uh, with this resolution or something like that? Or have you had any surprises seeing something no, for the first well, time? No. Uh, well, the, the surprises are that it looks nicer in big screen. <laughs> but otherwise, no, 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 no. I can code in small resolution with no problem. But from time to time I render a video yeah. to see what I'm doing. 
but um, no, normally it works, it works quite okay for me to, to do it in small resolution. Yeah. Now, out of curiosity, how much how much in elevated are you doing in the in the in the CPU? Uh, how many I'm doing on the CPU for just elevated? Just what are you doing? I mean, it's, it, the oh, terrain looks Basically like it's probably vertex shaded. Yeah, well, we are in the CPU. We are just um, playing the music, of course, which is computed on the CPU. And then at runtime, we are just uh, doing the parameter interpolation. Like there is some parameters to control the the, the, the screen intensity or the camera position, and these things are interpolated on the CPU and sent to the uh, GPU. But basically, the CPU is idle. It's really idle. It's all the magic is happening on the GPU. Even the camera movements, because the parameters are uh, computed on the CPU, but the real movements are done in the GPU. I think it's the first, one of the first intros doing this, because the classic approach is to do to move the camera on the CPU and just send the camera position to the GPU, to the shader. But in this case, we are sending the parameters to the shader, and it's the shader who is computing the really the camera position. Well, the, the shader has yeah. the benefit of knowing the geometry. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because the yeah, indeed, the geometry is uh, the, the the real terrain shape that's defined on the GPU too with a vertex shader. Um, the CPU doesn't know anything at all about the mountain. It doesn't even know what it's rendering. The, the CPU just sends uh, just a regular grid, flat plane of triangles. And it's the GPU who converts that into, into a terrain. So it's the GPU who knows how to make the collision detection or avoid a peak or something. So that's why the camera is on the GPU. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Um, Adi, if you don't mind me asking, do you have any uh, do you have any particular demo that you want us to view next? That uh, whether you of your own creation or perhaps someone else that you think is pretty cool. Demo that I like. Yeah. Uh, Preferably your own, right? Because we're talking to you. So. Yeah. Okay. From I like elevated. I like elevated a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I'm really in love with uh, nature, and uh, I'm especially with uh, terrains and snowy landscapes. Well, yeah. You did uh, a. You, there's another procedural graphic uh, that you did. I don't recall yes, the name of yes, it. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. And that's also showing some mountains. And actually, I have been doing terrain rendering since, I, I think one of my very first effects before I knew the demo scene was already terrain, fractal terrain. Mm -hmm. And since then, since 97 or 96, I have been doing terrains almost every year, in a way or in another, in a 4K, in a 64K, in a procedural graphics, in my own projects, always. And I really love them. And mm -hmm. I, I guess that's because in Spain, I was born in the north of Spain, which is very cold and snowy. And I spent all my all the winters when I was a child in the mountains and skiing and so on. And I like I like I love snow and mountains. So I really like elevated. And yeah, I don't know. I, I guess if I do anything else again, any 4K or 64K, it will be with nature again, like mountains and these things. I love them a lot. So okay. in that sense, I like elevated. But and I'm very proud of it also. And it was a great experience to do it. With uh, the guys of TPC. How did uh, how did they go at the party? Was how did uh, did uh, did everyone cheer when it when it played and and did everyone have a did everyone really really like it? Yeah. I mean, I'm judging this from the I mean, it was first place, right? Yeah. 
and yeah, uh, I was not at this party, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, so I don't know because normally when when I make a production and it goes into the competition, uh, during the competition I'm very nervous. Yeah. I, I, I'm in the demo scene. I, I'm competing since the '98, doing many productions a year. Normally it goes in Spain, but then also in the other in other countries, but. Still, after I think I have done 40 productions so far, and still today I get very nervous when I when they are projected on the big screen. So when I when we watched Elevated, uh, I was very nervous. I don't remember much. In fact, I remember people clapping, and I was enjoying a lot. So I went with mentor, the other coder. We went to the very first row in the at, at breakpoint. We went to the first places to to the seats in front of the screen to sit in this huge screen they have. And I was enjoying it, and I was—I remember being—I remember being very nervous. But uh, I think people liked liked it a lot, and they were clapping, and then <laughs> came and said, "Oh, you did it! You did it! This is the fucking best, whatever." <laughs> but the, everything came later. But during the projection, I was just uh, like, Phew. "Well, anyway, in, in breakpoint, and I think it's the same in assembly. Uh, they project the what they think are the best demos in the end of the competition." Yeah. keep the best productions to the end. So the fact that Elevated was projected, the last one was already like a good sign, of course. But still, I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very... It, it, it's nice, it's like seeing your child doing alone for the first time. <laughs> yeah, the, fa- the fact that you, the, you, you um, develop it in the kind of a restricted sort of manner, to yeah. see it on the big screen at such a yeah. high resolution, I'm sure, yeah. is very exciting.
uh, yeah, and this summer I didn't go to any party uh, since breakpoint. Yeah, since breakpoint actually, I didn't go to any party, and I'm really waiting for it. So that's function. Right, cool. I hope you have. I hope you have a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I don't okay. say hi to Gargai for me. That's the only person I really know from okay. the Hungarian uh, scene, at, at least. So. Um, yeah, he, he's the organizer. One of the organizers. So oh yeah, yeah. Normally, the problem of being an organizer is that he he will be very busy all the time and stressed because he has to organize the compo. Well, you know the story. So they are there for the party, but they are not really enjoying. So Gargai will be there. But uh, you he will not really enjoy that much. Enjoy that much. <laughs> hmm. um, do you mind me asking? Without, uh, I don't know how secretive you are uh, with RGBA, but uh, do you have any, do you have any um, uh, pretty cool frameworks that you've developed over the years? Do you have a, do you have a, a very nice tool that that you were using? Like, uh, what tools have you developed uh, within this group? Oh, I'm going to disappoint you, I think, because we don't have any tool. We oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's <laughs> okay. Are, yeah, well, it's the way we, we work, or at least the way I work, and because I'm the only active one, the only active member of RGBA, I'm the one who decides, let's say. So, no, no tools at all. We, I, I don't like writing tools. I just like writing demos. And I really dislike uh, writing, yeah, making user interfaces and plugins for 3ds Max and keeping compatibility. And it's an endless story, I think. And I don't have much time to do programming. And I don't spend much, in fact, much time. And the time I uh, I invest on demos is really for making the demos, not the tools. So we don't have any tool. We just use uh, Visual Studio, so the C compiler of Microsoft, and that's it. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, that means that all the animations are done with formulas. We don't have spline, splines editor or Bezier curves editors or anything. So we do everything just with formulas. And when we have to move an object, we have to put object dot position dot x equal sinus of time plus exponential and blah 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 blah. That's the way we do animations. And, and so on and so on. And I like it because I don't know it's. It takes a lot of time to do things, like to get the right movements, the right animations you want, or the right texture, the right whatever you want. But um, I don't know, it's a different way of thinking, because the other way of doing it is what you would do if you were doing a game, or if you were a game developer. And if I wanted to do that, I would get a game developer job. Uh, I, I don't know, I prefer to do it in another way, and I like it. So we don't have any tools. We use. Visual Studio, Photoshop, of course, to, to check from time to time things, and that's it a bit, I think. Yeah. Okay. So it's a bit disappointing, because normally most groups, they have huge tools which do everything from textures to animation to 3D objects to rendering. They have exporters, they have plugins, they have millions of things, but we don't have anything. But I like it. It's your demos are are impressive, uh, nonetheless. I mean, I'm not saying that they would be more impressive, but uh, but the 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 fact that you're doing these uh, from scratch every time is pretty cool. Yeah, and I find it very exciting. Like, for example, with elevated, so elevated, yeah, the 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 terrain and so on. Many people are telling me, okay, which images did you use as reference, or which videos did you download to. To, yeah, to as reference or to try to mimic and so on. 
and I didn't use anything. I didn't even go to Google for watching images or anything. It just I, I like the idea of building everything just from my mind through formulas. And I find that very exciting. So if there was an artist designing the mountains and designing the texture, then it wouldn't be that funny for me anymore. I still like to watch demos, of course. Uh, de classic demos, I mean, where they are done with Photoshop textures and 3D Max meshes. That I enjoy watching, but as creator, as active demo scener or programmer, I like to to follow this other process of just thinking on something in my mind and then finding the formulas that will bring it to the to the screen and building something out of nothing. That really I like. I think it's very exciting. Okay. Yeah. Um I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna close this interview to be honest with you. So Okay. Thanks for thanks for thanks for um thanks for having the time. <laughs> thanks to you. Yeah, and uh, take care. And uh, I guess we'll be closing with. There's this this. Uh, let's see. What shall we close with? Mm, maybe the instant send music of STS04 demo. I love it. Okay. All right. We'll see you next week, <laughs> or whenever. It's it's kind of haphazard, but I like saying see you next week.
Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.